Hey everybody, and hello humans. This is Not A Robot's DC Comic Review Show. This week we continue our journey through the Infinite Frontier. This week we're covering Detective Comics number 1034, Action Comics number 1029, Batman Superman number 16, Teen Titans Academy number 1, and Harley Quinn number 1. My name is Brandon, and today I've got my amazing co-host here with me, Rob. Hello, hello, hello. And making his spectacular return, Josh. <laughs> Hello, humans. We're here to summarize, analyze, and editorialize every issue we cover without worrying what the publishers think. We are on Twitter at Not A Robot Comics. Rob is at Rob underscore 2814. And I remain allergic to Twitter, but that may change someday. <laughs> we all answer show mail sent to notarobotcomics at gmail.com. The next part is dedicated to those that support us with their hard-earned money, but that's not the only way you can. Like, subscribe, download, and share our episodes as much as possible. It helps get the word out, and that's the best kind of advertising. Now is the time to say a big thank you to the humans who help us support the podcast. They subscribe to our Patreon with tiers starting at just $1 a month so that we can make sure to keep bringing you more content. This is the Not A Robot Must Be A Human shout-out and roll call, and that shout-out goes to our humans Weird Science Jim, Blue Mondays, Hollister, and Rochcrocket. A big salute to all of you and an even bigger thank you. So what are you waiting for? Sign up now and show us you just might be a human after all, and get a shout-out on the Not A Robot Must Be A Human roll call. Alright guys, what's new this week? Not a whole lot. I mean, yeah. I'm back, so yep, there's yep. that. Good to have. And we got a bunch of new comics. Mm-hmm. That is for sure. Mm-hmm. Most of them are pretty good. Yeah, a lot of new creative teams. <laughs> What's up with you, Rob? Anything new going on in your life? Honestly, I'm trying to think of anything exciting. Nothing really exciting right now. Just excited to get into these books. Oh, excited yeah. about the Justice League Snyder Cut being released. Yeah. Holy shit. I didn't get yeah. to talk about that, dude. I watched that movie three times in two and a half days. I watched it by myself, oh my and then God. my kids That's wanted impressive. it. I, I'm saying. That's like 16 hours. Yes, exactly. 16 <laughs> hours and six minutes, to be exact. <laughs> and uh, I watched it by myself, and then my kids wanted to watch it with me. And then after hearing me and the kids talk about it, my wife was like, Babe, I'm really sorry, but I'm going to have to watch this movie. (laughs) It's like, all right, shit, here we go. (laughs) But, I mean, I got to say, there's there's critics out there, dude, but I absolutely loved that movie. Yeah, it was good. It was fantastic. Yeah, I definitely thought it was an improvement. Yeah, definitely was an improvement. That's for sure. All right, before the whole podcast turns into me gushing about the Snyder Cut, we should probably get into them comics, huh? Yeah, that might be nice. So it's week four of Infinite Frontier, and our books have been pretty stellar so far, I would say, which is always great to hear. I'm excited, you're excited, we're all excited, so let's not waste any more time and just get right into it. Josh, talk us through Detective Comics number 1034. Okay, written by Mariko Tamaki with art both inside and out by Dan Mora and Jordi Belair on colors with lettering from Aditya Bidikar. This issue starts out at a fundraiser for Mayor Nakano. Something that happens pretty often, the narrative captions tell us. Bruce Wayne is there, but only because the Wayne family has an honorary seat for most of the big city functions. Then the uh, the fundraiser gets crashed by some fancy-looking remnants of the Joker War, decked out in these costumes and helmets, all Joker-themed, of course. And they call themselves the Party Crashers. Mariko Tamaki has taken cues from Joshua Williamson and James Tynan as far as giving characters' names go. That's <laughs> that's really bad. Of course, Bruce springs into action as everything goes down. Nakano's security team is less than able, and Nakano himself refuses to leave until all the guests are safe. With the inept security kind of faltering there, Batman shows up on the scene, and then later, Nakano has to hear that it was the Batman that secured the gala, not his team. After being socially ambushed on the sidewalk by his neighbor Lydia Warren, <laughs> he's sort of forced to go to a small party near nearby with his neighbors later on that night. While he's there, he's doing his Batman thing, assessing everybody and what he knows about them. They're basically a group of socialites that who are completely out of touch. And because it's, it's because they're largely unaffected by the events of the Joker War. 
Bruce hangs out for a bit and then he goes home. That's when we head over to Mayor Nakano and he's in briefs with his cabinet members. Not the underwear, though. He's just having a meeting. <laughs> There's several different suggestions loudly being shared with him, but it seems that he's got his own way of doing things. Neil, who is a friend of Lydia's, the neighbor from earlier, works for Nakano, and he is upset that Nakano isn't taking a more militant approach, I guess. We get a cool double-page splash of Batman taking out the party crashers before we go to Sarah Worth, who is another person that was at the party earlier. Sam, Sarah's husband, on the next page is yelling. Bruce hears and goes to his neighbor's house, and Sarah is gone. The house is trash. There's glass everywhere. And Sam is being, it looks like Sam's being taken out by the police. But uh, Sarah is gone. And then the last page shows us that Neil, it looks like Neil, is the one that's responsible. We get a guy that looks an awful lot like Neil walking through the sewers with blood on both of his arms all the way up to his elbows. I mean, he did something bad. (laughs) As far as I'm concerned, guys, they they really need to keep this team together, like at all costs. I honestly prefer Clayton Cowell's lettering in Batman comics, but there's nothing wrong with Bidikar's. She can stick around too. That is totally cool by me. The colors are down perfectly. I love the art, and this continues to be a Bruce Wayne that I truly enjoy reading. Man, I know, right? Definitely. It's really, it's really fun. Yeah, I'm hoping that they stick with this idea that Detective Comics will be a detective story. It's actually going to be a mystery and not just another <laughs> Batman story. Yeah, yeah, that's the way it should be, and yeah. and just the way that they're writing Bruce Wayne now is. I just enjoy it, man. It's mm-hmm. it's something completely different, and that means that every story from here on out is going to be at least a little different. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, his his money's been spread out so far that there there's no way he's getting it back. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Well, you can always go to Dick Grayson if he needs a spot oh, for yeah. a meal or something. <laughs> Have a bowl of soup, <laughs> please, Dick. May I have some more? <laughs> So, Josh, what did you rate this book? That like issue, story, I, I yeah, I gave this one an 8 all the way, man. Mm-hmm. Or, no, excuse me, an 8.5. Oh, nice. Rob, what did you uh, rate this story? I gave it a 7.5. Mm-hmm. It, it was fun. It's definitely what I'm looking for. It's just not enough to grab me completely yet. Mm. Let's see, I'm totally a Bruce Wayne stand, though. I always have been. Yeah. Since I was a little kid, I know that's cliche to be, but I mean that's it's what made me fall in love with comic books, man. So oh, fair enough. Yeah, I know. At least for me, I I really like kind of like what Rob or what Josh was saying. I really like this this voice for Bruce Wayne. I think it's. I don't know if I could completely call it unique, but it's definitely different than something I've seen in recent years. And I noticed that on Dark Detective, and I noticed it here. I think the thing that interests me the most is Bruce Wayne, like being part of a community and having neighbors. I can't really think of any specific other times in the past where that's happened. I know he's lived in apartments and in Gotham City during the 70s and a little bit during Scott Snyder's run, but actually having to deal with like other people it just seems really funny to me just like it yeah. is funny yeah well socialites and then I, I think it goes without saying that dan moore's artwork is just excellent i feel like oh, i don't even God, need to mention gorgeous. it at this point just right. that that one splash page of him breaking through the glass and taking down the party crashers is just yeah, that was awesome. it's, it's it was so awesome. gorgeous but yeah I, I definitely really enjoyed this book and i i gave this one an 8.25 out of 10 uh, maybe an 8.5 on a really good day I do have those. All right. right. Bruce gets settled into his new digs. His son, Damien, is on the move. Let's see how our ex-boy Wonder is handling himself this week. Take it away, Rob. Okay. So this comes from writer Joshua Williamson with art by Gleb Melnikov and letters by Troy Pateri. Now, at the last issue, it ended with a blood splatter coming from potentially Talia al Ghul's neck, but we come back to that bloody scene and see that not only did Talia survive, but she killed the assassin holding her instead. Scolding Damien for hesitating, Damien backs up with a, I knew you could take care of yourself. He investigates the tattoos tattoos on the assassin, saying he does not recognize the writing, and the fighting style is reminiscent of the League of Shadows and Assassins, but very different. 
Talia opens up about a secret history with the Leagues having a third one that left early on in Ra's al Ghul's reign. This visit was an attempt to send a message, but Talia has no interest in their tournament. Damien is surprised to learn this, as with all the resources at his disposal, not much is kept from him in that world. Then, realizing what Talia actually said, he replies with, wait, what tournament? They head towards a helicopter, while Talia explains her recent history with Leviathan being taken from her, as seen in Event Leviathan. She will need to rebuild her empire, and needs Damien at her side, but not as a son, but instead as an assassin. That's cold. Right? Right. It is time for Damien to choose, demon or detective. Before Talia can finish, Damien removes his extra gear and escapes out of the helicopter in midair. Talia realizes she can never cage her baby bird. We then see Robin in his new costume, which looks dope, by the way, falling with a smirk on his face, ready for the adventure ahead of him to be continued in Robin number one next month. (laughs) It's going to be great. In the epilogue, we see three cloaked men walking through a dungeon-esque cave, speaking about the League of Lazarus returning and the tournament to take place. They reveal themselves to be the League of Shadows and vow to enter the tournament and win. They know about the attempt on Talia's life, yet not surprised she survived. The question if the boy, meaning Damien, enters, being trained by the bat, that he could win. But then he will have to face their fighter. For what better way to take out a robin than with a hawk? Connor motherfucking hawk. Yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> oh, man. Pretty slick. I, I was so excited for that last page. <laughs> yeah, what's it been, like 10 years or something? Oh, at least. Yeah. I, I'm... I'm pretty like I haven't seen him since before New Fifty Two started. I think, yeah, but I, I wasn't reading everything. Oh yeah, and I, I mentioned this in the in the group chat that we're a part of. But there was a tease in Green Arrow Twenty Five for for any Rebirth nerds out there. I remember this vividly because I was just like, is that is that who I think it is? But they had a uh, they had a like a little tease of what was to come in Green Arrow that year. And I don't think it, it just didn't end up happening because the writer Ben Percy left the book, but mm-hmm. right. you see a little person. Oh like, man, I think I remember that. Yeah. Dude. You yeah. see a little person like cloaked in shadow and it's got Connor Hawk's signature belt. And I think it shows his blonde hair and you're like, Oh my oh, God, man. is it? But they never, they never ran with it. So I was just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. It is yeah. what it is. But this, this was definitely a surprise. So yeah. Um, and unfortunately, I, the only other time I think I've ever seen Connor Hawk was on the Arrow TV show. Yeah. No. Since then, it's yeah. it's, it's been dry. But I I, yeah. I I love that idea of the son of the bat and the son of the arrow just teaming oh, yeah. up and fighting together. I I, I almost Hopefully. wish that could be the whole book. <laughs> Looks as though yeah. they're going to be kicking each other's ass at first. That's oh, yeah. going to be great. I yeah. love a good sidekick, and this is going to be a great, great yeah. tournament. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think Damien has ever met Connor, has he? <laughs> no. no. Maybe not. Yeah. Nope. They have never crossed Yeah, paths. so this should be yeah. fun. It should be. But, okay, counterpoint here. So we get introduced to the League of Lazarus. Mm-hmm. They've always been around, and now they've resurfaced, and it's Mortal Kombat time. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I mean, okay, I'll take it, but it's it's a pretty convenient thing to do. I mean, it's, it's certainly just a very, very broad, ger- generic plot device, but you're revealing something that's always been there and then explaining it away that it's just, it's always been hidden, and why or how it's been hidden this whole time from even Batman and the League of Shadows it's just explained away with why does it matter yeah it was a little hand wavy it was a little hand wavy Mm -hmm. and that that bothered me a little bit but Mm -hmm. the art dude and Connor Hawk I mean yeah yeah Yeah. I'm willing to work with it for now I gave that one an eight yeah so yeah it brought my whole issue to eight point two five. It mm-hmm. oh my god, it was great. <laughs> yeah, no, for me this this story was it was just really fun, and and I did love the art. And I agree that like the whole expository scene where they're just kind of talking about oh there was the, the originally the the three different groups, but then they splintered, and that was a little like oh okay we're doing this, but yeah if they can find a way to make it somewhat interesting, I, I'll I'll work with it. But I think for me, I'm, I'm more interested to see. Who Damien's gonna fight? What the tournament actually? Yeah, what's gonna happen? All that yeah. stuff. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm more stakes? interested in that at least. So I gave this one also an eight point two five. So my score just averages out to an eight point two five for the entire issue. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this this story definitely brought the score, at least as a story, brought it up for me just for like the, the potential 
uh-huh. for Robin number one. But yeah, I agree with you guys. Like it is a little bit ham hot and how they're just kind of a, this mm-hmm. is just another thing that's always been there. Yeah. It's very, very, it's been done. And yeah. it is very Mortal Kombat, but I, I love Mortal Kombat, so I'm excited for that. Yeah. <laughs> Just to see who could show up in the tournament. Maybe maybe Roy Harper, even. Maybe. We'll get Arrow versus Arrow. All right. We're all caught up on bats, so let's check in with Big Blue and see what he's up to this week. We'll be taking a look at Action Comics number 1029, and that was brought to us by... Uh, writer Philip Kennedy Johnson, artist Phil Hester, Eric Gapster is the inker, Hi-Fi did the colors, and Dave Sharp did the lettering. So this issue opens with omniscient narration, which continues to talk about the so-called golden age that children grow up under, how it leaves them vulnerable and afraid when they see their parents falter. This, of course, directly applies to Superman and John as they continue to fight that third wave of the invasion from the mysterious breach the two encountered, in Superman number 29, Superman and John end up retreating to the safety of the Star Labs satellite where they check in with the Star Labs scientists who are working to fix the satellite, which sustained some damage during the encounter with the breach. Superman and John rush to fix the satellite, and after Superman asks how they can close the breach, the scientists reveal that it can only be closed from the other side, since the portal was open from our side. Uh-oh. Superman realizes that it was the star scientists who had opened the breach, and the scientists revealed that, although the first time the breach opened was an accident, the second and third times were under the direction of Amanda Waller, who was analyzing its negative effect on Superman. As he leaves the scientists, Superman states that when the breach is closed, they're all going to have a talk they, quote, won't like. Yikes. As Superman and John prepare to leave the satellite, John begs his father to remain on the satellite, stating that, in the future, this is the event that signals the beginning of the end for Superman, and he doesn't last much longer after the breach. Superman reassures John, stating that he may be getting older, but he's been around for a while and has a job to do. John reluctantly goes with his father to fight and seal the breach, the narration about the Golden Age continues. Superman and John fight off the Horde, and John flies into the portal, and seals the breach just in time. After Superman and John return to Earth, they have a heart-to-heart about how Clark felt the same way John did when Pa Kent had harmed himself when Clark was a kid. The lesson of the Golden Age was something that Pa Kent had taught Clark, that Clark had now passed on to John, and that John is going to be just fine. In an undisclosed location, two unnamed allies have been watching the conversation between John and Superman, and are commenting on how John's power is growing and Clark's power is falling. He may even be dying. Dun dun dun! One of the aliens questions how someone like Superman could even die, and we reveal Mongol who comments that if he lives, he must die, as everything shall. Yeah, this was a this was a solid story, a solid two-part setup for the future of uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson's Superman. And I think the standout moments for me were the moments of narration about the Golden Age and the conversations between Clark and John. I I just really think it's interesting, the exploration of this father-son dynamic, particularly given everything that's happened with John in the past two years. While the Breach plot is fairly formulaic, I'm interested if they're going to explore the Star Labs plot any further. Superman versus Amanda Waller sounds pretty deadly. Mongol showing up makes sense if we're tying into Future State, so I'm just interested to see what happens there. In terms of the artwork, Phil Hester's art had a classic feel, even if it was a little blocky at points, and the colors were okay, though I do think Phil Hester definitely needed better colors uh, for these past two issues. I don't have much else to say, except I'm interested to see where this new relationship goes. And uh, I'm somewhat looking forward to it. So I gave it a 7.25 out of 10. Maybe a 7.75 out of 10 on a really good day. Josh, what did you think? I feel like the story in this issue was better than the last, comparing them separately. It was mm. it was more enjoyable. It was easier to read. That, that We got more of the actual father-son connection other than John just sitting there sounding a little sappy. <laughs> so that was... that, And so that was, that was nice. Mm. I, the part that... The part that kind of didn't do it for me was that underlying tone of setting up an emotional transfer of the role of Superman mm. with War World coming and all of that. Mm-hmm. It, uh, I, there's some people who can write that can just pull you in and get you with those feels. Tom Taylor, for example. and I mean, he's just one that does it all. But 
this just isn't doing that part of it for me. And mm-hmm. then Phil's Phil Hester's art is always hit or miss for me anyway. And this time, oh, yeah, it I was get a, that. This time it was a miss, and it's kind of ironic because it's ultimately about seeing your heroes fall from immortality and seeing them as people. And this story just kind of fell flat for me. I gave it a six out of ten on this story. Uh, Rob, what did you think? I I kind of agree with Josh on that, but maybe a little differently where just the whole idea of all these stories connecting the future state is just a little kind of one-sided because either how the story is going to end, it's either going to end up in future state or it's not going to end up in future state. And it kind of mm-hmm. takes a lot of the guesswork out when you're reading these stories. Yeah. I prefer, I yeah, I prefer a story where you don't know any of the future, and a lot of this, a lot of what's happening right now in, in DC is tying into future states. So you kind of already seen the end. It's one of those rewind episodes on TV show. It just eh, they're they're always done, and it's it's good sometimes, but not in the degree we're getting, the volume we're getting. I think. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I did enjoy the second issue, like you guys said, a lot more than the first one. It looks to me like John's getting set up very quickly to maybe be the next Superman. But we'll see what happens there. Yeah, because yeah. we've got no idea how far away War World is. Yeah. But it, okay, so just prepare, get buckled in for the comics, because they're all pr- pretty much going to just dangle the possibility of Future State hanging in front of us. Yeah. And then there's going to be little battles where they might almost win or whatever, and then we're going to... I mean, you pretty much can see the plot device playing out in front of us. Exactly. The, what what really matters is the quality of the stories here, and as long as the as long as those are there and those can take you for a ride then the overall arching reason for the storyline doesn't really matter yeah you know what i mean yeah Yeah, no i get that Mm yeah um i refuse to think that dc storytelling is dead there's a lot of people out there that say so (laughs) no definitely not that like the the upcoming green lantern book like that that's setting up a whole mystery even with the future state like how did the lantern go out and what happened and all that they they, yeah, they even with the future state story they set up all that mystery but mm. with some of the others i'm I, i'm still excited for the future and see what's going to happen i would just prefer to not know anything yeah yeah, yeah. i i just think for me I, I think i put a lot more stock into the exploration of clark and john working together as a team given that John is now a lot older and has seen a lot more. And I I know that there are people who are obviously still a bit unhappy with that, and I I would probably say that I'm not super happy with that. But if if the mandate from on high right now is we want to keep John at a certain age, and there's really nothing you can do about that, if I was approaching this book, I would say, what can I do? Is there a story that I can tell? Is there something that I can explore with? Superman essentially having to reconcile with his near adult son. So I I think for me it's just if you can focus on that more I would be more interested in the book. I don't know if that's the plan, but I think that's why certain parts of this issue and the last issue of Superman kind of worked for me whereas they might not have worked for for others. Yeah, they have that father-son dynamic still. Yeah. Yeah, that that really attracted me to the early one John was a kid having showing Clark and Lois as parents and raising John. Mm-hmm. And when they grew him up rapidly, it was a bit of a letdown. But as if they can keep that father-son dynamic going I and still teaching so John much. and raising. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. The, that was the, way too quick. Oh, yeah. No, the problem was just that they, they, there was no relationship because they yeah. just shipped him off to the 31st century yeah. the first right. second they got. He, he was locked in a volcano with Jor-El for a thousand years. Yeah, I kind of blocked that from my memory. Right. <laughs> they, they, had, they had so much potential with the Jor-El story, and they just brushed it away Yeah. very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. But that was a different action comics. Now, this yes. action comics, it is still fun. It was definitely more fun than the first one. Uh, it is interesting to see how they're tying it in with Mongol showing up and kind of maybe taking advantage of Clark's potential powers weakening and maybe dying. Mm-hmm. So we'll definitely see how it goes. Yeah. So uh, what did you rate this issue? For this story, I gave it a 6.5 out of 10. Mm-hmm. It still didn't catch me completely, but it definitely will keep me interested for what's going to happen later. Yeah, fair enough. 
All right, we're not quite done with Metropolis yet, as we need to check in with everyone's favorite black leathery badass, the so-called bad boy of the authority, Midnighter. So let's see what's up with Midnighter. Josh? Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad, I'm starting to... I wasn't sure about their writing style initially when they, they, when they first started writing all these stories for DC, and yeah. I, they are really growing on me. The art was from Michael Avon Deming and Taki Soma, with lettering from Dave Sharp. Okay, so this one, it was a pretty quick read, and... Mm-hmm. Even even though I flipped through this so quickly, it did its job for sure. Midnighter is back to the current timeline with all of the knowledge of the future as well as his supercomputer being operational again. He took a hard drive from Andre Trojan, the dummy that was crazy enough to cosplay as Apollo, Midnighter's <laughs> husband. <laughs> the thing he didn't realize is that in doing so, Andre's consciousness came along for the ride. So now we have a super badass, exceptionally violent, and let's be honest, a little twisted version of Batman who now has a Dexter-like dark passenger talking to him, driving (laughs) him even more crazy. That cannot be good. It simply cannot be a good thing. I really love the story, and I wish that there were more pages devoted to it. I think if this was fleshed out a little bit more, I really think Midnighter could carry his own title. The art left me a little wanting, but like that was kind of the theme of the whole book i guess because of that i gave it a seven out of ten but i it, man it was a really good story yeah rob what did you think sorry <clears throat> sorry yeah i i also loved it it was a very short story but it was very enjoyable for what it went where this is going to go is very very interesting that this is the midnighter from the future state storyline and just one more thing to go back to the whole future state idea you can't expect DC to just go right into that. So, like I, like, like I said, it can either be future state or it cannot be future state. You can kind of imagine it's going to not be future state. Mm-hmm. So, will players like Midnighter, who were from that timeline, actually change the future? Is he going to be like a big, big player in the future state overall? Because mm-hmm. he remembers that timeline. He's going to want to change it. I smell a sacrifice coming. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah I think so hopefully too. not. Midnighter's a great character. <laughs> yeah, me too. Well, I mean, it's it's uh, like this future Midnighter. So is he gonna sacrifice himself, and then oh, a yeah. past Midnighter is gonna come back? I don't know. Yeah. Time travel's weird. Time me, why me? Bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Love time travel. Hate time travel. <laughs> yeah. This this story though, it was fun. It's definitely good to get you excited for where this is going. Oh, yeah. I gave this a seven point five. Yeah. No, I'm 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 in agreement with both of you guys. This was a really fun story, and and weird to see Michael Avon Omen doing like superhero stuff. Or, or no, I should say like mainstream superhero stuff. Because when I think of him, I usually think of Bendis' powers. I don't really think of Midnighter. So this was kind of cool, and I think it worked in some panels. But there were definitely some. There, there was one shot of just Midnighter sitting on a couch, and it looked really wonky. But yeah, I mean, in terms I know what of the one story, you're talking about, but I was yeah. never familiar with this guy before. I didn't realize he'd been in comics. Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no. He and him and Bendis, like that was kind of how he famously got his start. Oh boy, here comes this story. Powers back in two thousand. That was kind of his big break. But anyway, this was a fun story, and I'm I'm definitely interested to see where this Andrej Trojan. I don't really know how you're supposed to pronounce that, but that whole plot line is going, um, and how it's going to continue to infect Midnighter's mind and all that stuff, and how he's going to try and prevent the uh, the crazy techno future of uh, a future state so i gave this one a 7.5 out of 10 i really liked it but i, I think my my full score still kind of stays at about a, a 7.25 for the whole issue and just because my memory is kind of dull on this andre trojan was the one that invented uh, what was it in in john kent's superman oh, stories yep, that, brain cells. that giant brain cells that's it that's yeah. that, he was the inventor of brain cells right yeah yes. so you know maybe that'll be interesting yeah, yeah, to they, see what happens I there now that they'll probably bring brainiac back somehow or something yeah especially if that future andre trojan is now back in the past as well oh yeah 
Alright, we've seen their adventures apart, but let's see what the world's finest get up to when they're together. Rob, walk us through Batman Superman number 16. Well, kind of together, right? <laughs> in, in a way. Let's say they're, they're on the same page together, but not, not yeah. quite talking to each other. No. A very unique way of doing comic books, for sure. Oh, oh def- yeah. Definitely, yeah. I loved it. So we've got two stories here told on strips of film that can be read together or one after the other. I opted for the latter and will do the same here with my synopsis. So we start with Superman in the world of tomorrow. Clark, Lois, and Jimmy are at a reveal event for the Omni Battery, a never-ending source of power that can power every home and business. Just before they bring out the person responsible for this marvel, they are interrupted by the unknown wizard claiming to be the inventor of the Omni Battery. He arrives with goons in tow, all of them in robotic suits. Jimmy sets up his camera drone, and Lois runs to get info on this man, but Clark runs away, saying he's going to get the human interest angle, but instead pulls open his shirt to change into Superman. He quickly dispatches the robots, and the unknown wizard is revealed to be Lex Luthor. Lex shouts about a charlatan from Gotham City stealing all his ideas like she can read his mind. Superman tells him to stand down, but Lex orders his robots to attack Superman. Supes crushes them almost instantly, ordering Lex to surrender. Lex concedes as fast as his robots did. At this point, Dr. Martha Wayne steps out with Alfred and Bruce behind her. Bruce comes out of hiding, unsure if the danger is gone, but then lays eyes on Lois and immediately starts to charm her, much to Superman's dismay. He flies off to return again as Clark Kent, bumping into Bruce on the way, knocking him off of Lois. Before leaving, Bruce insists Lois comes to the Wayne estate so they can talk more about the events. Martha asks Alfred to escort Lex to the proper authorities, to which he replies right away, love. She whispers, not in public. (laughs) Back at the Daily Planet, the intrepid trio go over the photos of the event, and Clark looks up everything he can about the Wayne family. Lois is surprised how fast he did considering the year's worth of articles the planet has about them. Clark discovers that 15 years earlier, the Waynes were mugged in an alleyway, and Thomas Wayne was shot and killed while Martha and Bruce survived. Bruce remains traumatized by the event and is unable to commit to anything he does. Martha uses the family wealth to make the world a better place. Lois gets a call from Bruce, prompting the three of them to go to Wayne Manor together, leaving Bruce in a sour mood when they arrive. Lois leaves for the powder room and unleashes a camera drone of her own to look around the place. She finds a series of tunnels and caves underneath the house. Going to investigate, she finds Alfred in the caves, warning her not to be here. Superman arrives to her rescue, and Alfred activates a belt he is wearing that gives the effect of Bane's venom serum. Before either can react, the film begins to burn and Lois falls out of the frame. Now with Batman and Robin in the world of the night. We open with a cafeteria truck leaving Arkham Asylum late at night. The driver asks the gate guard to buzz them out as her front seat passenger begins to giggle. The guard realizes this is the Joker and sees the Penguin and a man named Jones in the back of the truck. The driver zaps him with a device on her hand and they crash through the gate. In the rearview mirror, Penguin sees the Batmobile chasing them. Batman leaps to the truck, leaving Robin with the Batmobile. Peering over the roof, the driver gets spooked and crashes into a rock. The villains begin shooting, but Robin shows off his practice and takes out the shooters with quick batarangs. The driver runs, but Batman catches her with Ebola. She is the Spider Lady, queen of Metropolis's underworld. She tells Batman to remember what happened to the Daily Planet years earlier. It's somehow connected to the asylum, and they are doing horrific things to the patients, the warden being behind it all. The police take the inmates back to Arkham, but when Batman and Robin arrive, they find out the Spider Lady escaped. Before going to track her down, they decide to pay the warden a little visit first. Breaking into his office, they see all sorts of trophies and oddities, including a familiar rocket ship and an S-shield on the front of it. Inside is the skeleton of a baby. The warden enters his office, saying he was told it's an alien insignia. Warning them on the breaking and entering they just committed, Batman and Robin escape before he is done. Down in the cells, we see Joker, Penguin, and Jones back in a cell together. Lamenting about being caught again, Jones reminds them to be happy they are in a cell block A and not their unfortunate twins in cell block B. As we cut to almost a mirror image of the trio being burned with purple lesions on their skin. Now in the Batcave, Batman and Robin try to figure out the case before them. Robin discovers the rocket ship was part of an estate sale for a childless couple in Kansas. The hull of the ship seemed to be punctured by a big crystalline meteoroid. 
Batman, looking through the files he copied from the Warden's computer, discovers the Warden has been taking regular flights to the Arctic Circle. They go to investigate. When they arrive to a base up there, armed guards meet them. They take them out and enter. Before they get too far, the film begins to burn and Lois Lane falls into the frame. Batman says, you're the spider lady. We end with Batman and Superman investigating a Wayne Tech satellite that is covered in film. As they reach it, they are interrupted by aliens saying, For the sacrilege of trespassing on the Archive of Worlds, you shall be annihilated. So this was a brilliant issue, I thought. Yes. Oh, the way it was, yes. Yeah, the way it was laid I, out, the art. I, I had to double check, because I was like, did Graham Morrison write this issue? Yeah, yeah I, I love experimental books like this. Yeah. And it, it's like one of the choose your own path books in a way. Mm. It's, it's so much fun to read going back and forth and seeing all the different different time periods that they explored and different things they added into the stories. Yeah, and the way the, the alternate universe stuff was, you always you you always get to enjoy it because they kind of get to do whatever the hell they want. Yeah, exactly. Like Martha surviving, Clark dying as a baby. I really mm. hope they they keep exploring those stories because those both those stories alone have me hooked. Like Alfred's on Venom and Lois Lane is a Metropolis underworld criminal and what's going on there. Yeah, but who knows? It might they might just jump to a different alternate universe afterwards. Oh yeah, and it, and it reminded me. I I remember like reading an interview with Gene Luen Yang, who's kind of prepping for this project, and he was talking about the old serials that he went back and watched. And I, I'd encourage anyone who's interested to watch like the Batman serials from the forties. They're they're oh, corny great. as hell, but there are a lot of yeah. some of this stuff hasn't aged quite as well. Just because to put it in context, one of them was filmed during World War Two, so there are. Uh, a bit controversial portrayals of uh, Japanese Americans, but on the whole, it's it's kind of remarkable that they have these ongoing adaptations of Batman in the '40s and that have still survived today. So mm-hmm. that's a little plug for anyone who's interested. You can find them on YouTube. They're super fun. Yeah, I watched the hell you out can, of those when I was a kid. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You can tell the influence there because the way Rob summarized these this issue, I almost said these issues. <laughs> um, the way Rob summarized them, they sound a, a lot more in depth. And with that Grant Morrison concept, it, it, you know, comment, excuse me, with that Grant Morrison comment, I, I see where you guys came from. And I read it. I'm like, yeah, this is kind of like a trippy issue. And I, I love the layout, man. It was yeah. so cool. Yeah. But to me, I, I really picked up that almost corny schlocky feel to it and you could tell that it was really that it was influenced by that era mm-hmm. 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 not not quite 60s level of schlocky just the the old-fashioned terminology that kind of got used throughout yeah and the old school yeah. cars the, the whole feel of yeah. it, you know well, it definitely it had that golden silver age oh, version yeah, of the sure. characters and that feel. I gave it an eight out of ten, man. It was yeah. it was de- definitely different, but I've been raised drew it. I mean, enough said about that. Yeah, I yeah. know. I'm yeah, so no. glad we're treating him on <laughs> Superman books because he is just like born to draw that stuff. He's oh, yeah. so good at it. Yang has a great voice for both of these characters in this yeah. kind of a setting too. So that's that's eight out of ten for me, man. Yeah, no, I, I, I love this issue. I, I love the use of the film grain as like the backdrop the stories and then kind of breaking that film grain when Lois falls through with such a like what the hell moment. And it's just a really cool way. And I mean, I don't even know how it's going to. I think this is probably the only issue I read this week where I'm like, I have no idea where this is going. I, I, there's no future state connection. There's none of that it is completely and entirely separate. And that's a that's a really great feeling to have. So I gave this one an eight point five out of ten, maybe an eight point seven five on a on a bright and sunny day. But I, I absolutely adore this stuff. And then Josh said some gorgeous artwork by Yvonne. Yeah, I also gave this an eight point five out of ten. It just hooked me from mm-hmm. even just the cover. I was looking forward to this for a while. Oh yeah. All right. I think we've heard enough from the adult superheroes for this week. Let's check in with our favorite teen heroes and see what they have to say for this week in Teen Titans Academy number one. So, Teen Titans Academy number one was brought to us by Tim Sheridan, artwork by and colors 
by Alejandro Sanchez with letters by Rob Lay. So this issue picks up with a boat of some new super-powered kids arriving at the newly named Roy Harper Titans Academy, and it opens with a speech from Nightwing kind of talking about how they won't be able to change the world, but they can create a place where kids can just do some good in the world and try and uh, make it a little bit brighter than, uh, as he puts it, the one that stalks us. And the rest of the Titans kind of remark, that sounds a little dark, but let's, uh, let's keep it moving. So basically, they kind of set up the rest of the dynamics in the issue. We have a little training sequence with Nightwing, who is introducing a lot of the newer young titans of the academy, Summer Zahid, Matt Price, Brick Petty Rosso, Alinta Tubi, which is short for, as he'll explain, totally tubular, Gorilla Greg, and Stick. <laughs> and just as they're talking about the fight simulator, one more student jumps into the class, commenting on how late he is and asking if it's bad and basically saying that he missed the ferry and he's just hoping to make it into class on time. And Nightwing, who identifies this student as Dane, uh, tells him that he made it just in time and that there's nothing to worry about. But as they continue to talk about the flight simulator, a couple students ask about the so-called rumors of a red X. And this is where I kind of got lost for a second because, as I'm sure everyone loves the Teen Titans cartoon, and I certainly love it as well. I don't really know how I feel about Red X being folded into Nightwing's history. I don't think it's as seamless as it could be. It's going to raise a lot of questions just in terms of continuity, but I, I'm willing to forgive it for now just to see where it's going. But it just... For me, that reveal of Nightwing having a history as Red X was a little a little choppy at first. But basically, they reveal that there were others who had the Red X moniker, some that they didn't even know, but it basically was kind of a dark point in Nightwing's past, and he's just glad to move on from it. So we move on to the cafeteria, where we uh, meet Miguel Montez, who's introducing himself to our favorite teen superhero, Billy Batson, a.k.a. Shazam. Uh, we also get a little more info on the other Titans, Summer Zahid and Alinta, who are just kind of talking about their first day in class, and Summer has a little bit of the hots for Nightwing, because of course, who doesn't? But they're all sitting at the table, and they're talking about some of the other students that are sitting away, Megabat, Chupacabra and Brat Girl, who they nickname the Bat Pack. Gorilla Greg comments that they're orphans from Gotham that essentially Nightwing just took in to become Titans. But then Billy kind of asks the clarifying question on if they're not officially Teen Titans while they're at the Academy and they're not Titans, then where are the Teen Titans? And that's when they sort of clarify something that I'd been thinking about, which is if you have this new generation of Titans coming in, what happens to the Rebirth Titans? And we get our answer that the upperclassmen are the only active roster Titans, and we get a splash page that reveals exactly who those are. And those are Kid Flash, Bunker from the New 52 Teen Titans, Jakeem Thunder, the Kid Thunder. I don't really know if he has any nickname officially, but he was from JSA. Crush, Red Arrow, and Powerhouse. But anyway, so the older Titans are monitoring their progress, kind of commenting on how it's good to have Bunker back into the active roster and kind of setting up some stuff that will happen later. And we cut to Brick, who is in the training room fighting the Red X's, and reveals a unique power set that apparently he had not mentioned in his file, as Donna Troy remarks, who had been kind of looking in on his, his practice session. And they have a fun little back and forth, and basically Donna kind of chides him on his name a little bit, saying how it's a little bit convenient that his name is Brick and he has the power to brick electronics. And she basically says that she's here as his new guidance counselor, but if they don't want to talk, they can just spar, which is always a healthy way to start off your relationship with students. But then we catch up with Tubi, who is moving into his new room, and he reveals that 
and we reveal that he has taken on a new roommate, and that is Roundhouse from the active roster Teen Titans, who apparently was supposed to get his own room, but unfortunately that didn't happen, and it seems like they're having a little bit of conflict between each other. We'll see where that goes, but we cut to the new Teen Titans surprise party, which is also doubling as a birthday party for Nightwing, and we get a little bit more info on our bat pack as they're kind of commenting on how they'd really rather be anywhere but here but unfortunately their only friend lucas is the only one who's actually enjoying uh, his time at the titans academy but then we catch up a little bit more with the older titans who are kind of investigating a mystery in that nightwing was given a present of the red x mask but he has no idea who sent it to him and it was really meant to kind of move him past this whole red x phase but it seems that he really can't contain it as much as he would like but nightwing basically gives a speech on the teen titans emblem and what it stands for and kind of how red x deviates from that and how he's not really proud of that symbol he just kind of wants to move past it and not really acknowledge it in any way and personally i'm fine with that i I, I, like I said, I'm not too big on the red X angle, but you know, we'll see where it goes. But Nightwing goes into the practice training room. He sees that Brick is still practicing late. Brick kind of runs away after Nightwing kind of questions him on where he's been, and given that it's past lights out, and then Nightwing and Starfire catch up for a little bit, and she's kind of commenting on it's his birthday and she was supposed to give him a gift and he doesn't know what that gift is and she asks him about the mask the red x mask and he mentions that he must have left it at the party and it's possible that they might be hinting at some kind of future relationship between nightwing and starfire but as you may know from the last episode i'm very big on the nightwing barbara relationship so i i, I have no interest in this at all but anyway yeah. the final page reveal is just that a new person has taken up the missing red x mask and nightwing remarking that we hopefully will never have to see that mask again it looks like it's going to be in the titans immediate future uh oh, yeah. so this issue was uh, fun. Uh, it was kind of a, a cute setup in a way. I really dug some of the art by Rafa Sandoval, especially during the training room sequence with Madonna, Troy, and Brick, and also the sequence where Nightwing is fighting with the Red X's, but it definitely felt like a lot of info dump at places where it just kind of felt like we need to get this stuff settled so we can actually get into the character dynamics so as far as the first issue goes it's not quite as smooth as i might have liked i'm a huge teen titans fan so obviously i might be a little bit harsher but yeah i definitely felt like it was it was a lot to take in with just a first establishing issue which is good in some ways and uh, a little bit much in other ways and then as i, I said yeah, yeah before i don't know how much i like this retcon of Nightwing being Red X at some point, I think you're going to run into a lot of problems if you try and connect that, especially yeah, when it comes to, yeah, especially when it comes to Deathstroke. I mean, like I said, I enjoy the cartoon as much as anyone else, but it just, I don't know how much it'll make sense given Nightwing's comic history with Deathstroke is very different from the one from the cartoon, but I guess we'll just have to see how they choose to incorporate that. I hope that in the spirit of Infinite Frontier, they're not going to deliberately try and retcon away anything from Nightwing's past. But like I said, I did enjoy the issue, and uh, I'm interested to see where it goes, and of course, I'm super excited to see what Titans Academy has in store. So I gave this one a 75 out of 10. Josh, what did you think? I knew that Red X was coming, so mm -hmm. I was kind of prepared for that and the possibility of them tying it to Nightwing. But that said, I'm hoping it's kind of one of those things that are just going to be brushed under the rug like the League of Lazarus. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just move on and give us yeah. a, a good story, but a good story built off of that. So just hoping that that's what's going on. I love the setup. I love the voices. I love the art. Oh, yeah. um, I love that Red X isn't being presented as a new character. I do that part. And personally, I really don't give a shit who Nightwing is with as long as it's Babs or Corey. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, this was awesome. I really liked it. The art here from Sandoval Tarragon and Sanchez is amazing. They oh, make yeah. a great team. Even with Ivan Reyes drawing Superman, which should always rank in the top three of every week, this issue blew me away. Mm-hmm. I, I got a good feeling about this story, or at least this issue was done well enough to give me a good feeling. And... Here's the thing that I noticed, okay? Uh, we saw Roy Harper send a text to the Titans in a previous issue. I can't remember which one. But before before he left the page, he threw his phone and his hat into the trash. And I'm thinking maybe he didn't send that text because there's no mention of Roy other than the new school is named after him, almost like tribute. So I don't think that they know he's alive at all. Yeah, no, I don't think yeah. they... I don't think he sent that text. I think he was just no. like... I think he was contemplating sending the text, and then he just threw away his phone because he well, wanted yeah, to give I mean, it time. Obviously, that's the case now, yeah. but I didn't read yeah. it that way when I. Oh read it. yeah. yeah. But I, I gave this one a nine out of ten, man. I loved it. Oh wow. Nice. Yeah, I, I'm up there too. This was such a fun read. Mm. I yeah, so I I love the red X angle. Growing up with the Teen Titans cartoon, it. I do agree it does feel a little forced a bit into the history of it all. But I do also appreciate that it's not a brand new character at the same time. Yeah. I yeah, understand that. Am curious there was a line from Nightwing that he wasn't the only Red X and there was two others, and now I'm curious who the hell are they? I wanna say Jason Todd might be one. <laughs> who would the third one be? Damien. Uh, Oh um, yeah, yeah, or maybe Tim. Maybe all the Robins have been Red X at some point. Oh, maybe. I wouldn't. I mean, like I said, I, I don't love the retcon, but I'm, if you could tell an interesting story with that device, I wouldn't mind seeing it explored. Like maybe it's something yeah. that all the Robins have had to do while they've served with the Titans at some point. Yeah, kind of like a coming of age for a Robin. Mm-hmm. Be a bad guy for a couple of months and yeah. see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I do hope they don't. As much as I'm, I'm loving the mystery. I hope they don't put it too long because this book has so much potential on its oh, own. Yeah. Besides Red X, and if they, they put the entire story on just the whole Red X mystery, mm-hmm. it could kind of take away from what this book could become in the future. Even if when they do eventually get past all the future state stuff, this could be a wonderful book to keep going. Yeah. So don't don't put all your cards on Red X. Mm-hmm. That being said, though, I do have my theories about who the new Red X is. I'm thinking it's Miguel Montez. But I was thinking that even back in Future State Red, uh, Future State Teen Titans. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I think Uh, that's a safe bet. Yeah, I don't know. It just seemed... Because it it was somebody familiar that the old Teen Titans know. And somebody potentially there back when they were doing that seance to bring Roy Harper back. Mm -hmm. And it was all circled around the H dial and just, I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of pointing towards Miguel for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I'm loving this book so far. The art was amazing. It mm-hmm. was great to see the original new teen Titans together again. Yeah. With the absence of, of Wally West, but he's, he's busy right now. Oh yeah. So I, I gave this an eight out of 10. I loved it and I can't wait to see where it goes. Yeah. Nice. All right. Now it is time to pick our top three books of the week and your favorite panel slash moment of the week. Rob, what were your top three books for this week? All right, my top three, starting at number three, I had Detective Comics. Mm-hmm. It was a fun read. I'm excited for where Mariko Tamaki's going to take this, and that Robin backup really boosted that score because it got me <laughs> super excited for the future. <laughs> number two is Teen Titans Academy. I Again, I'm excited for the future of this book. Excited to see where it goes, and I'm a sucker for sidekicks, and this book is nothing but... And number one, I put Batman Superman. It was such a fun experimental book. I hope they continue with this for the remainder of the story arc, and I'm excited to see where they go with it from here. Mm-hmm. My best panel, despite all the fun we had, Connor Hawk, that last page <laughs> yeah. got me so, so hyped for what's coming. Again, sidekicks and me. I, it's It's got to be my best panel. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, I get it. My right. top three. Josh, are gonna what were your be, top three for this week? My top three are going to be uh, in third place. I'm giving it to Batman Superman. You had to enjoy the new style, the way that it was told for this particular storyline, because these people are the 
archives of everything or whatever, and they do so on old-fashioned film strip. But it, it was it, it was a fun read. It was cool. It was great to look at. So that got number three. Number two goes to Detective Comics because it was just it was beautiful to look at. The story's great, and you can't argue with that. But the just I had so much fun with Teen Titans Academy. I had to give that one number one, and the the art was gorgeous. In it. Oh yeah, and similar to Rob's pick for uh, a favorite panel because of a sidekick mine's gonna have to go to robin jumping out in his badass yeah it was awesome robin costume that oh was that great. was so cool i i, I like it it, it, it kind of reminds me of a uh, tim's red and black costume similar but it's yeah. it's, it's different enough yeah. that it's i think it's pretty cool man oh yeah it's that's yeah, damien's take on a like a, a red and black robin costume it's got like the yeah. frills and stuff it's pretty cool right so cool yeah <laughs> all right this week coming in third place i had teen titans academy i thought it was it was really fun but like i said it was it was just a lot of information to take in and i wasn't quite sure how i felt about some of the retcon choices that were made but i'm interested to see where it goes so that's always a positive and number two i had detective comics number 1034 this one was nearly my number one for connor hawk because that was like such a oh my god, yeah. <laughs> such a just a huge shock that for me. Crazy. And and I, I just love the the Robin backups, and I'm just super excited for Damien to have his own Robin series again. Can't wait to see that. And of course, Mariko Tamaki's main story with Bruce Wayne moving into a neighborhood, kind of trying to tie up some threads from Joker War and him kind of clashing with some of his neighbors. A lot of interesting stuff going on. Super interested in what's happening, and I, I just, I, I just love her voice for Bruce Wayne. I just can't, I, I, I don't even know if I can put it into yeah, words too, exactly. Yeah. It's just, it's something about it. But it really works for me, so I love that issue. And then at number one, I had Batman Superman number sixteen. Now, this issue was awesome. That's really all I have to say. Like, I feel like we kind of already said everything that needs to be said. I love the artwork. I love the multiversal angle for this. So. Uh, I'm just super into it, but my panel of the week probably has to go to Batman Superman number 16, where Lois is falling through the film strip. I love it when they kind of mm. break panel borders like that. It's just such a cool and unique way to merge the stories. And Yeah, it uh, was really cool. Yeah, I loved it. All right. We had some fun with these past titles, but now it's time for our favorite part of the show, or at least your favorite part of the show. Nasty. Josh, which title made your stink list today? I think I know what it's going to be. It, it's got to be Action Comics, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. the, the art in both of them just kind of was eh, for me. The second story was great. The first one was, it was average. A little bit better than average. But, yeah. uh, I mean, just because it was the, the lowest score, it's got to be the, the biggest stinker. Yeah. And yeah. uh, Rob, what made your stink list this week? As you can probably guess, Action Comics, but much like last week, just by not being the best, I didn't hate it. It was better than the previous issue. I'm still excited to see where it goes, but yeah, again, not the best of the, the bunch this week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My, my biggest stinker for this week is also Action Comics 1029. Even though I kind of like this issue, I have to admit that... There were certainly some aspects of it that were pretty weak, and the artwork was not quite as consistent yeah. as I would have liked it to be. Even though I do really like the the cover of John holding the, uh, the Superman suit, but yeah, overall, not the not the best issue. Even though there were some aspects that I did really enjoy. Before we close out the show, there is one final book we'd like to talk about, and that comes from our clown princess of crime, Miss Harley Quinn, and Harley Quinn number one. Unfortunately, Rob and Josh didn't get to read this issue, but don't worry, I'll be giving a brief summary and some of my thoughts on the book as a whole. Harley Quinn was brought to us by writer Stephanie Phillips, artist Riley Rosmo, Josh's favorite, colors from Yvonne Placencia, <laughs> and letters by Darren Bennett. So, Just this... for the record, I don't mind anybody else on the book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this issue picks up with Harley Quinn essentially trying to make amends for everything that she's done and she brings a cake down to killer croc's lair in a sewer where she is met with some quite vicious responses from uh, croc who is still upset that apparently 
she was trying to sell her to some exotic animal farm. And during the course of their interaction, we see Harley Quinn kind of reminiscing on how they say home is where your heart is, but Gotham City doesn't change. And no matter what kind of changes she brings on, some things just never change. And as she escapes from the sewer, she is met with some resistance on the streets. People who are calling her a circus freak and kind of telling her that she's a clown and she needs to get the hell out of Gotham. But she's able to escape and basically kind of try and talk to them and say, I'm not that kind of person anymore. I'm not violent, but they're kind of insisting that she's just like any other clown. She's just like Punchline. She's just like Joker. She's just like all the rest. And she's just going to bring chaos and mayhem. But we see Harley return to her what she calls shabby chic apartment, where she notices that the window has been cracked open. Uh, and that's when she kind of comments out loud that whoever's in here, you picked the wrong apartment. But she quickly turns around to reveal that it's Batman who is coming in to check up on her. And Batman's basically saying that if you're going to be operating in Gotham City now, I need to know that I can rely on you in some way, especially given everything that's happened with the Arkham Asylum attacks and all that stuff. But Batman is kind of questioning her on what she was doing with Killer Croc, what her intentions were, and she reveals that she kind of has this whole plan developed where she's trying to make amends with all the people that she's wrong over the past few years and pictures of Penguin and Deathstroke and Catwoman and Croc and she basically is commenting on how she's just developed this list to make sure she keeps track of all the people that she wants to help and Batman reaches for one of the envelopes marked Pam but she kind of cautions him against that saying she's not quite ready for this one yet but Batman basically is okay you've got this in good hands I'm gonna head out now and Harley Quinn basically says, but don't I get some kind of money or something? Um, and that's when Batman's just like, what are you talking about? And Harley basically remarks, isn't there some kind of bat stipend check that you send Robin and Batgirl and all the others to give them some kind of funding so they can set up? And she's just like, uh, Batman basically says, that's not how this works. This has nothing to do with me. But he gets an urgent call from Oracle who alerts him to some goings on at Amusement Mile where some clowns are being attacked. And Batman just kind of leaps out the window and doesn't bring her along. And Harley's just like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll catch up with you later, I guess. But we go over to Amusement Mile where we see a mob of people has kind of turned against another uh, mob of who they call clown supporters, who have just kind of been hanging out at Amusement Mile, and they're basically giving them guff after all the Arkham Asylum attacks. And that's when Batman shows up and tries to defuse the tension, but uh, the mob just turns against Batman and basically says that he is a mask like any other, and it doesn't really matter. They're going to take him down anyway. And then that's when... Batman essentially has to fight off all the rest of them, but we see one man escape from the chaos, a man named Kevin who runs into the front house of mirrors, and that's when Harley Quinn shows up to kind of tell Batman that he needs to chill out a little bit, basically saying that instead of trying to beat up all these people, that they should try and reform some of these clowns. And take a bit more of a rehabilitative approach and that's when Batman gets a call from Oracle about a robbery in progress at 35th and West so he goes to take that and Harley will deal with the man named Kevin in the fun house of mirrors and they basically have a fun little back and forth where Harley's kind of complaining about how Batman doesn't really value her and he kind of remarks that he had no idea that Harley Quinn was Batman's new sidekick, apparently. But they kind of have a, a fun repartee, and then basically Harley's like, I'll take you in for a little bit, and we'll see how this goes. And so, I guess, in a way, she has her new sidekick. But she goes back to her apartment, where she finds, and I, I kid you not, a bat toaster, because she'd made a joke earlier about kind of wanting some amenities in her new apartment with the so-called bat stipend that she was asking for and she made a joke about wanting a bat toaster that imprints the logo on the toast so when she gets back to her apartment she sees it there and it has the little bat logo on a toaster so that was pretty funny but then we cut to the rockwood hospital for the criminally insane which is in upstate gotham and we see a bunch of crazies kind of knocking on doors and commenting and we have a voice off screen who is basically talking about 
how there needs to be a, a new leadership in Gotham, how specifically Saint Industries, in reference to Simon Saint, is looking for a new hero that will kind of quell the unrest that has been going on in Gotham. And so that's when we reveal that the person they're looking for at Rockwood is none other than Hugo Strange, who is kind of being brought back in by Simon Saint to deal with the clown problem. And we'll see where that develops further. And that's how our issue ends. So this was a pretty fun setup. It's, it's definitely, I would say, a lot more story-focused than maybe some of the Harley Quinn stuff in the past, which kind of had her away from Gotham for a while. I, I definitely think it was a solid way to reintroduce her into working with the rest of the people in Gotham. And I am really interested to see where this like clown rehabilitation angle goes. So in my personal score, I gave this one an 8 out of 10. And yes... While some of the art by Riley Rosmo, which I know Josh absolutely loves, panels that are definitely a little cartoony and take some liberties with proportions, particularly some scenes with Batman, I think on the whole it was more solid than some of his other work in the past. There's a particularly creative panel where we get a full shot of Batman, but it's kind of just like the outline of his cloak. And we see in the outline of the cloak, he's kind of fighting off all of the angry mob at Amusement Mile. So there's some interesting panels there, but I would definitely say that the art has improved from some of the stuff that we've seen in the past, even though I'm uh, personally a fan of, of Rosmo's cartoonish style. I definitely enjoyed this issue, but anyway... And that's the show. Come back next week for more DC Comics Talk, when we'll be reviewing Superman vs. Imperious Lex, number 3, Batman Catwoman, number 4, The Flash, number 768, and Strange Adventures, number 9. We'll see you there. And as always, you amazing humans out there, thank you so very much for listening. You are the reason why we do this. Visit campsite.bio forward slash notarobotcomics to hear all of our episodes on nearly any podcast platform and patreon.com forward slash notarobotpodcast for the exclusive content that we make for our patrons from all of our offerings. Kids Corner, Real Talk, Movies, TV, and more. Again, starting at just $1 a month. Visit notarobotpodcast.com and that will take you to everywhere you need to go for everything Not A Robot. And with that, there's only one way that we say goodbye around here. Until next time, be good to each other and don't be a robot.